Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, ninth, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. This week's podcast is geared primarily towards seniors applying to UC schools, that is, University of California schools, including UCLA, Berkeley, UCSD, UC Davis, and a few others. Even if you don't plan on applying to a UC school this year, I would still urge you to continue listening because this new development may be coming to a college near you, and the news is not good. In case you haven't heard, let me get you up to speed. A few months ago, given the problems with COVID, the UC system decided to go, quote, test optional, unquote, when it comes to standardized testing. What does this mean? Well, before this ruling, it used to be a requirement to submit an SAT or an ACT score as part of your UC application. Going test optional lifted that requirement and instead made it optional for students. If you were able to take one of these tests by the time the application was due, November 30th, still 10 weeks away, by the way, and you were proud of your score and it put you in a good light, you could submit it and it would be considered, but it wasn't a requirement. Now, this was a big deal at the time, and everyone was running around wondering what this meant. Should their student, should their child stop studying and stop preparing for the SAT or ACT? Should they just forget about it and take the spring off? Well, I was adamantly against this strategy and encouraged all of my prep wellers to continue their studying, if not double down on the studying, because the less motivated kids would use this ruling as a license to give up, not even try, which gave the more motivated students an opportunity to shine. And so prep wellers and legions of students all around the country trying their best to do their best on a very important test, continue to study and diligently prepare. And by the way, for context, after the UC system went test optional, hundreds of other colleges and universities followed suit. I thought going test optional was not great, but a reasonable decision if students either didn't feel comfortable taking the test under the circumstances or they simply didn't want to bother, that was their call and they could choose to explain their circumstances in their application. Maybe they had other things in their application that better reflected their potential anyway. And while not perfect, it seemed as though this was a common sense position to take. Don't make it a requirement, but give it as an option. If you found a way to perform well on the test because you prepared early or you studied hard or you fought tooth and nail to sit for a test even during COVID, with a face mask on, good for you. You had the ability and the right to submit that score in your application and it would be taken into account. If you chose not to submit a score, it wouldn't be held against you. Well, fast forward to this week. There was a ruling that took this one step further. A judge ruled that UC schools this year 
would be prohibited from using SAT or ACT scores when evaluating candidates, citing that having the option to submit or not submit a score would disadvantage students with disabilities. So even if you received what you consider to be a good score for you, you are not permitted to submit it, and they will not consider it. I'm not going to spend my time enumerating the arguments on both sides. Who is this judge and how is this ruling dictating what the largest state-run university in the country can or can't do? Is it fair? Is it not fair? Who is this harming more than others? You can find a lot of those comments online, and there'll be plenty more to come in the next week and several months. Personally, unless there's evidence or an argument that I have not yet read or seen, I hope the ruling gets overturned. Because... I believe it will have a lot of unintentional consequences that I'm not sure have fully been thought out. I have no idea if stopping this ruling is even possible, but we can hope. And instead of pointing out all the issues surrounding this ruling, I'd like to discuss what to do now, what happens now. Number one, let's start to think about how this might work or not work in practice. What I'm wondering is how you see schools can prevent students from simply disclosing their SAT or ACT score in their application, in one of their essays, or in the section that asks if there's any more information that you'd like to share that has not been asked for in the application that you think is important that we know. They simply write in their SAT or their ACT score. And if the schools can't prevent this, and I'm not sure how they could, and they don't have the time or the resources to verify these claimed scores, what's to stop bad-acting students from simply making up their scores? Just add a blurb in your personal insight question that you got a 1490 on the SAT or a 35 on the SAT and you're good. Will the UC application readers simply take the student's word for it? Or if they're prohibited from considering the score, are they expected to unsee what they just read? With test-blind admissions, which is what they call this, I could see applications to UC schools going from 220,000, which is common, to, I don't know, 400,000 applications? If an SAT or an ACT score is not in any way, shape, or form part of the application or evaluation process, why wouldn't almost anyone apply? After all, without a standardized test score and no letters of recommendation, the only things left for UC schools to evaluate are, one, GPA, and we know the variance there, two, the classes that you took, again, a wide variance, three, activities, and four, your essays, or what UC calls your personal insight questions. How will UC application readers possibly be able to differentiate among students. For good or for bad, standardized test scores at least provide a reference point to use during the holistic assessment of a student. And by the way, at this stage in the game, 10 weeks before the submission deadline, three out of the four of these data points are already spoken for, meaning it's too late to improve your GPA, so that's done, it's too late to change your class selection, that's done, and it's pretty much too late to add extracurricular activities. So what's left? The essays, or what we call the PIQs, the personal insight questions. So I sure hope that the students out there 
are spending inordinate time on their essays this year, because this is the only part left of the application that may move the needle. Put yourself in the shoes of a UC application reader who has to read 2,000 applications, and 90% of the students have an unweighted GPA between 3.7 and 4.0, and 80% of the students have some generic basket of extracurriculars. They play a sport, they're in a band, they had a part-time job, they're in student government, the usual suspects. And 60% of the students have taken a few rigorous classes, maybe an AP class or honors classes. And 60% of the students write average to above average PIQs or essays. And by the way, does your son or daughter's profile fit into that broad category that I just described? How are the application readers supposed to decide who gets accepted when 60 to 70% of the applicants look very similar to one another with no standardized test scores to see how students perform compared to their peers across the country and no letters of recommendation, which give teachers the opportunity to call out unique aspects about a student's profile, what do they do? How do they decide? So what does all of this mean? Number one, don't expect to get into a UC school. Yes, getting into UC schools has gotten more and more competitive over time, but with a combination of a strong SAT or ACT score, along with a solid profile otherwise, your ability to stand out was far greater, and you could count on getting into maybe your top one, two, or three picks of UC schools. Not so anymore. Now it seems like admissions has turned into the ultimate lottery, where there could be 10,000, 20,000 students with an 80 to 90% overlap. How will they decide? Number two, apply to as many UC schools as you can afford. Because as many of you know, inside the UC application, you must decide how many of the nine UC schools to apply to and pay 70 to $75 for each application. I forget exactly how much it is. You can apply to all nine of them if you have the luxury of spending upwards of $500, $600 on applications. This strategy will result in even more competition because it's in everyone's best interest to apply to all nine schools, just in case. Some students, California students in particular, have no choice but to try to get into a UC school, any UC school, because they can't afford any other school. So they can't take any chances. They will apply to all nine schools. Perversely, this makes everyone's chances worse and will result in many students getting accepted to UC schools that they may not have applied to otherwise and may not even want to attend in the first place, displacing many students who would have thrived there. Number three, start working on those personal insight questions, folks. This may be the only area of the application that you have left to differentiate yourself from the tens of thousands of other kids who have good grades, who've participated in a few nice extracurriculars, who've taken a few AP courses or honors classes. What you write in those 250 word responses may make or break your application. Number four, apply to more schools. And for those of you who live in California, consider applying to California State Universities or CSUs, because there's a good chance that an otherwise highly qualified applicant in any other year 
will simply not get into any UC school or any UC school that they want to go to. Because a student with a 4.2 GPA and great extracurriculars and five AP classes and strong PIQs, who is not allowed to disclose the 1,500 they got on their SAT, will be lumped in with students who have the same profile but had a 1090 on the SAT, which they also were not able to disclose. Those two students will look, in essence, like the same person. And then it will come down to luck. Who gets picked? And if you're breathing easy right now and you think you're okay, you think you may have dodged a bullet because your child doesn't live in California or doesn't intend to apply to the UC system, I would think again. Because I would not be surprised if this test-blind policy in the next few weeks starts to get adopted more broadly and comes after your child too. The UC system often leads the pack in these types of policy changes. So stand by. Now I do want to make clear that this was not a decision that came from the UC system. UC schools disagree with the decision of the court and are currently considering further legal action. So we'll see if that goes anywhere. What's the bottom line? If you were counting on submitting an SAT or an ACT score that you took pre-COVID or counting on an SAT score, an ACT score that you intend to get in the coming weeks prior to the UC application deadline on November 1st, I wouldn't hold my breath. I'm hopeful that this ruling will be overturned or that there will be a way for students to put their best foot forward, but you should plan on that not happening. I would plan for the worst. That might mean feeling less confident in your chances of getting into a UC school. No matter how outstanding your profile, it might prompt you to apply to more UC schools than you would have otherwise two weeks ago, or it may cause you to apply to a CSU school that wasn't on your radar two weeks ago, or simply start considering other schools outside of the UC system. It might motivate you to spend more time on those PIQs than you would have otherwise. And while I hope this issue disappears as quickly as it came, if it doesn't, I want you to be prepared. That's all I've got for you today, folks. Happy Labor Day. Enjoy the long weekend. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a parent with an 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, 11th grader, of course a senior in this case, please share this episode with them. You can do that by finding that small box with a tiny arrow pointing up. That's the share button. Click that button. Text your friends. Let them know about this episode. Put a little personal note in there from you recommending that they listen in. If you have questions, comments, or an idea for an upcoming episode, please let me know. Reach out to me by email. DM me on Instagram. Visit my blog. Check me out on Facebook. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. PrepWell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to prepwillacademy.com and enroll your child today.